Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. I'm going to read Psalm 88. O Lord, God of my salvation, when at night I cry out in your presence, let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like those who have no help, like those forsaken among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a thing of horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call on you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the shades rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave, or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness, or your saving help in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry out to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast me off? Why do you hide your face from me? Wretched and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am desperate. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dread assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. From all sides, they close in on me. You have caused friend and neighbor to shun me. My companions are in darkness. feels weird to say good morning after that text is read, considering that there is very little good in it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Good morning. It is a good morning to be in community. My name, I forgot to say last service, but hi, my name is Jarrell. I am the Church Start resident at Urban Village Church in this community, and it is good to be with you all. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. Amen. Sadness never feels 
like it's temporary, does it? It always feels like it's kind of like a giant bully, like the ones in middle school who would give you a bear hug and would squeeze you super tight, because if they punched you, the teachers would see them punching you, and then they would get yelled at. So they hug you instead and squeeze the life out of you. Sadness is kind of like that. It wraps its arms around you, and it squeezes you so tightly you feel like you're going to pop. And each time you think that the squeezing has gotten as bad as it's going to get, it seems to squeeze you just a little bit tighter. So you adjust, you squiggle, you try and get free, and yet somehow its its grip just gets tighter and tighter because sadness is not really something that is temporary. Like a dear friend, it comes to visit and it sets up shop. It stays for a while. You know sometimes you invite your friend over to come and visit and you think they're going to be there for two to three days? Oh no, sadness comes for two to three months and it decides that it wants to make itself at home. After a while, it isn't because sadness is unwanted or unwelcome. To the contrary, after the first few moments of sadness, we adjust to it, and then we kind of get addicted to its presence in our lives. Because even the tightness of a bear hug is a form of an embrace. It's something that we start to cling to. All great theology starts with a confession. So, Here is mine. I am an unapologetic crier. I cry all the time. I cry when I'm happy and when I'm sad, when I'm angry and when I'm frustrated. I cry when I'm watching videos on Facebook, like those super cheesy commercials that they show. I cry at Kleenex commercials or when I see really cute puppies walking down the street. When I see kids like running up to their parents, like earlier Joseph did with Brittany, I got a little misty. Like I cry all the time. And one of the things that my mom said to me is, you're not going to make a good minister because you're so emotional. And someone is going to come up and they're going to say something to you and it's going to make you cry. And that isn't good for ministry. So naturally I cried (laughs) when that was said. (laughs) And then I started hiding my emotions and started hiding who I really was. I didn't find God embracing who I was in that moment. The psalmist had absolutely no problem embracing their emotions. In fact, like the author of this and many other psalms, felt so compelled to share em- uh, like their emotions open and honestly that their emotional sharing can sometimes weigh us down. This psalm seems almost devoid of joy. The, the words used... My heart is full of troubles. I am in the very depths of hell. I am lost in the land of forgetfulness. The author says that God has abandoned them and that God has caused their friends to abandon them too. 
And while we know, know cognitively speaking, that God doesn't leave us alone, I'm willing to bet that everyone in this room has felt what the psalmist felt. That everyone in this room has felt like God has left them alone at one point or another. That everyone in this room has felt that they have reached out to someone and they have been left hanging. That their friends have left them in the land of the forgotten. In the summer of 2006, one year after my family relocated to Austin, I remember we were at church. I was at worship practice because I've always been a church nerd, always hiding in the doorways and trying to be a part of the community of faith. We were sitting around the room and everybody was singing the latest Hillsong United hit because that's what you do with youth praise band. Oh, Hillsong. And I looked around the room, and everyone else was coupled up. So, for those of you who didn't grow up in church, in youth group, you aren't really allowed to date. But everyone couples up in one way or another. Like, there's that person that they sit next to each other and worship, and they just accidentally drop their hand in the other person's lap, and the other person just, like, accidentally reaches out and touches their hand, and they accidentally keep holding hands for, like, the whole service. And so this is, like, the way that the church couples work, because you can't outright be, like, smoochy, smoochy, we're still in the house of the Lord. Uh, and so and we're at worship practice, and everyone in the room is like two by two, like Noah's Ark, paired up with one another. And except for me, I'm sitting back there like, well, I guess God didn't create something for me. And I'm just standing in the back silently as everyone is singing this Hillsong United song, and I feel so lonely. And it seems kind of ridiculous that this 14-year-old kid is, like, questioning the existence of life because he does not have someone to lean and accidentally drop his hand out for someone else. But for me, it was an underlying issue. There wasn't someone else that I felt I could couple with. See, all of the couples in the church were male and female, and surprise, that was not going to work out for me. I went home and I went upstairs and I closed the door behind me and I just wept. Have you had one of those cries where you can't make sounds and you just open your mouth and the tears just start coming out like a river. I wept and I cried and I was internally begging God, why would you make me this way? Why would you make it so that I'm alone? Why would you make it that I don't work like everyone else works? And as I was weeping and crying and begging God for the answers to my question, Memories popped up of when my mom discovered I was checking out a boy and dragged me to the church and the youth pastor prayed for me to be better and told me once you finish developing, you'll be normal just like everyone else. 
I ask God, when am I going to be finished? When am I going to be normal like everyone else? I felt like I was in the pit of hell and that I was lost in the land of the forgotten. I questioned whether or not life was even worth living anymore. I don't know what happened the morning after I woke up from crying myself to sleep. But I kept living. And I believe God is still with me. But in that moment, I failed to see God's embrace in my life. And these moments of overwhelming sadness shaped the way that I viewed my sexuality and the way that I viewed my own value. I didn't think of myself as being valuable to God, which, as a person called to full-time ministry, is a pretty awkward predicament to be in. It's very difficult to tell other people that God loves them if you don't feel loved by God yourself. When I was little, my mom used to tell me, you need to practice your fake smile. So I'd stand in front of the mirror (laughs) and I would practice a fake smile because you never know when you're going to need it. You never know when that person is going to cut in front of you at Jewel Osco or at Whole Foods and they have 20 items instead of the 10 to 15 that it clearly states they're supposed to have. And you just have to... Just smile at them. And God is working in your life. (laughs) And so I used my fake smile. Jarrell, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. (laughs) Fake smiles can get us through a lot. And sometimes we fake our smiles. I know I faked my smile and faked my laugh for so long, I had forgotten what real joy was. I would fake it when people would say, Merry Christmas. Why am I celebrating? God doesn't really love me. Merry Christmas to you too. Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen. It wasn't until the spring, 2010, is that another evangelical megachurch, there is a sermon about the love of God. And it was in that sermon that I realized that God really did love me. For four years, I was walking around and faking a smile because I didn't feel loved by God. And then someone else came up and they walked alongside me in a way that was so real that I felt it. I really, in that moment, felt valued and loved by God. But someone else was the reason why. Someone else had to see 
that I was sad. Someone else had to come up and walk beside me. For so long, I thought that I needed to find my happiness within and live my best life now. Do these five steps, and then joy is going to come. But that's not the way it works. Someone else is carrying the blessing for you. Someone else is going to be God in your life and to set you free from the sadness. And, uh, oh God, isn't that good news? That it's not dependent on you to get yourself out. Because when you're in the bottom of a pit, it's hard to climb out. But if someone else is at the top, it gets a whole lot easier. In this moment of this realization that God's love is real and that God's love is for me, we have a word for it. We have a phrase in the Methodist tradition. It's called being assured of God's love. John Wesley can date his time, May 24th, 1738, on Aldersgate Street. After he was reading the introduction to the Romans written by Martin Luther, he felt that his heart was strangely warm. And in that moment, he felt assured of God's love. Songwriters would go on to write and call it a blessed assurance as Jesus is mine. How amazing, oh, what a foretaste of glory divine that in a moment you can go from feeling like you are not loved, in a moment you can go from feeling worthless and feeling like you don't have value and feeling like you should just end it all. But in a moment, someone else can come alongside you and make you feel loved by God in a way that you had never felt before and you go from darkness and you go from being forgotten and you go from feeling like you are in the very pit of hell to having a blessed assurance but it takes someone else coming alongside you maybe the bear hug that we feel in grief that's so tight is really God holding us tighter until we're willing to lay down what makes us sad at God's feet. Maybe the tightness we feel isn't sadness trying to strangle us, but it's our own clinging to the things that we need to let go of. Maybe our fear of sadness comes from our fear of lacking control and surrendering the things that we can't control to God. Because let me remind you, the good news is we are not in control. And we never will be. Our heavenly parent is always looking out for us and stands nearby ready to pick us up when we fall, ready to comfort us when we cry, ready to laugh with us when we're laughing, ready to weep with us when we're weeping. And God does this in the most amazing way by making all of us instruments of that comfort. God's hands and God's feet aren't this idea, this supernatural presence, super far away and hovering out 
who knows where people believe heaven is, God's hands and God's feet are in this very room. Every week, we eat this bread and we drink this wine, quote unquote. Hopefully it's Welch's, yay Methodism. And we say this phrase, may we become the body and blood of Jesus Christ for the world. We don't necessarily say it here, but it's implied. And when we take this body, when we take this bread, when we take this grape juice, we are signing up to participate in the work that God is doing in this world. When we take this meal, we are signing up to go out into the world and to lift the burdens of others. We do it in a lot of different ways without even realizing it. Sometimes that fake smile we give to the person that cut us off is the fake smile they needed to see because they're going through their own stuff. Sometimes that one homeless person that is asking for money and you give them a meal, that's what they needed to get through. Sometimes when the faith and action team is asking us to sign a petition, that one signature is what changed the congressperson's mind and got the ball rolling on legislation that makes people's lives better. Sometimes when we're standing outside and we're greeting people, our smiles that say, welcome to UVC, are what keep people coming forward inside the door instead of getting afraid and turning away. Sometimes when we stand up at the band and we play our instruments or we sing or we do the liturgy or we give our testimony, our voices are what God is using to bring hope and love and joy into a world that is filled with anger and hatred and violence. Sometimes we are called to lift the burdens off of others so that they can feel the very presence of Almighty God in their lives. Sometimes we are called to be the hands and we are called to be the feet. Isn't that good news? That we get to participate in the story that God is telling. Who knows what stories we are participating in? Mm. The psalmist claimed that God was nowhere to be found in the midst of their sorrow. The psalmist claimed that they were lost in the land of forgetfulness. And when we are in our moments of deep sadness, that is what it feels like. But God is always right around the corner. God is in the person sitting next to you. God is in the person that cuts you off. God is in the person that greets you, in the person that meets with you over coffee. God is in the small group that listens to your story and that carries your struggles with them during the week. God is in the starting point group that says, I'm going to hold you in prayer for this for all week long. When I wake up in the morning, your name is going to be on my lips and I'm going to lift up what you have before God because you matter to me. God is in the midst of all of this beloved community. When Jesus entered in the world, he stripped the secular of its power and made everything possible to become sacred. 
which means that even sadness serves a purpose. Sadness creates a space where we can meet God. I don't think we give sadness its credit. Sadness creates a space where our neighbor can come up to us and ask us, what's going on? Sadness creates a space where we can become better community, where we can be more like God to other people, where we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. Because how many stories in the Gospels start with Jesus noticing someone else's sadness? Jesus, I'm sick. Can I be made well? Creates a space for Jesus to enter into the narrative. Jesus, my daughter has died. Creates a space where Jesus can enter into this narrative. God has not left us in the land of forgetfulness. And our eyes aren't growing dim with sorrow. We aren't being abandoned into the pit or into the depths. Rather, we are being called to remember. We remember sad things, but also we remember that though the sorrow may last for the night, joy comes in the morning. And who tells us this but a psalmist in Psalm 30, verse 5. And we're not abandoned in hell because the psalmist reminds us that even though we make our beds in hell, God is still there. In Psalm 139, verse 8. In our eyes, though our flesh might be destroyed, Job reminds us our eyes will still see God. So keep your eyes open and look for where God is in the midst of sadness. And look for ways in which you can meet other people's needs on God's behalf in the midst of their sadness. Sadness isn't a bully. It isn't an abuser of us. It's our companion on this journey. It's also a sacred invitation to look for God's embrace in the midst of heartbreak of life. Amen. Pray with me, please. God, here we are. Some of us come in carrying a lot of grief, not knowing where you are in the midst of our stories. Some of us come in and we really are filled with joy, filled with love and with peace, and thank you for that. Help us to look for ways in which we can share our love and our peace with others. Help us to find you in the midst of our sadness. Help us to be your hands and your feet in the world so that the world is made a better place by your son, Christ Jesus. Amen. <laughs>